Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Beyond the Fairways. With PGA Tour professional Jay Delsing and hosted by four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Now, it's Beyond the Fairways. Beyond the Fairways, coming to you from the Car Shield Studios. We're presented by Darty Business Solutions. With Jay Delsing, I'm Dan McLaughlin. Our guest coming up really should be a fun visit. We'll get to visit with Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America. There's a ton to get into with him. Ton to get into with Jay Delsing. We haven't done this in a while, but golf back in full swing, no pun intended, with the uh, Hero <laughs> World Challenge going on and Tiger Woods, his return. So a lot of news to get to. Danny, it's great to be back with you. Um, fat and happy after Thanksgiving. And uh, now we got Tiger playing, man. I mean, all is well in the world of golf again, right? Absolutely. It, it just changes everything when he's a part of it, uh, any kind of event. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and between the two of, I mean, there's, there's, it's hard to find two bigger Tiger Woods fans than you and I. I mean, it, it just, I, I don't know what you think, I mean, about him winning again. But, I mean, no, I don't put anything past him. Let's just put it that way. Put it that way is right. So, Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, is coming up. I'm really interested in what his job entails because you have so much of the professional game falling in his lap, but the people that serve those in our communities yeah. are, are falling in his yeah. lap as well. So it's really yeah. interesting the role that he plays. No doubt. Almost 30,000 uh, men and women are part of the PGA of America. And I mean, D, they're the soldiers. They're the guys out there that are growing the, you know, they're, they're in the trenches and um, it's going to be interesting. Here's a guy that is just a lover of the game. I mean, he was with Deutsche Bank when he, um, when, when they did the Deutsche Bank classic and the championship in Boston, I know he had an association with Tiger Woods and his foundation because Tiger played up there every year. So this is a smart guy, man. And and to have Seth go from Wall Street and all of his other, you know, heady business accomplishments to come into the world of golf. Dude, I want to ask him about the PGA of America, the new, that new facility down in Frisco, Texas. Is Everybody is talking about it like it's – from the architecture to the 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 cool new innovations, it's like an it's it's up there with like Apple and and all the Google and all the crazy you know um, cool um, tech companies. Yeah, major corporations and 
when you look at it, a lot of these major corporations are going to where they are located. So I'm sure there was a business aspect of some breaks maybe along the way, but they have made this a massive, massive golf complex. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's. Uh, um, I think it's done with the Omni folks, and um, the, the resort, I hear, is off the charts. And then there's golf courses associated, and there's putting greens, and there's just all sorts of golfy stuff. Looking forward to visiting with Seth Waugh. Yeah. I want to get into, can you quantify somehow, some way? I guess TV ratings, ticket sales, um, but just across the board, what it means to have Tiger play in an event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the bump that you get from the Tiger effect. I don't know how you do it, but it's just massive. I mean, here's a guy that's played, what, five tournaments, Danny, in what, the last three years? Yeah. Something like that. And he still continues to move the needle even from his home in Jupiter. I mean, the guy opens a window and all of a sudden, you know, there's half a million Twitter people talking about Tiger's, you know, awake. Yeah, yeah, Tiger's Tiger's walking, you know, all these these things. But um, unfortunately for us, I guess, as fans, it's just been a a really difficult time with with the, the accident and the continued, you know, I don't know, for lack of a better word, abuse of his body from from the game itself, from life itself, from accidents and things like that. And and and, you know, D, I we talked about this. I think we text each other probably three, four million times a day. But right. last year at Augusta, when he was trying to and he grinded out making the cut in that horrific weather, and you and I both we got on the phone and we we're like. This is bad. Yeah, it was tough to watch. It was hard to watch. His ankle looked like it was coming undone or something. I mean, his body looked, besides literally breaking down, it looked like it was physically coming apart. Yeah. Something, something was all bad. Here, a world challenge happening in the Bahamas, so we'll have our picks of the week. That returns later in the show. How did we not get an invite? To, wouldn't you like to be in the Bahamas about right now? Well, your private jet is, uh, is it's in the in shop. It's in repair. It's yeah. in the shop right now. Yeah. Maybe Seth could get us down there. Hop let's, on the uh, hop on the tours. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the PGA of America's oh, yeah. private jet. They got a nice got. one. Oh yeah, they got a nice one. I think um, our buddy Nathan Carnes, who's the uh, director of golf out at Winghaven, said that they went from the PGA Championship down to I, I don't know somewhere, and they they jumped on the plane, and Michael Block was on the plane with him, and. And uh, I think Nathan was there. So that's, that's, they got room, I think. Pretty cool to have a local guy in Nathan Carnes doing what he's doing with the PGA of America. Yeah, we should give Nathan, Nathan another shout-out. I mean, he's the national secretary this year, and in two years he'll be the president of the PGA of America. And that'll it's be amazing. the first time that we've ever had anyone from the Gateway section be a national officer. But more importantly, this guy is such a good He's just such a good guy, and he's he's thoughtful. He's smart. He's um, I don't know. He, he, there's something about his vibe. D. He's just chill, you know, and and um, loves the games and and doing just a ton for the game here locally. We also need to. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask him about Liv. Got to yeah. ask him about Liv no and the role that Liv is playing in golf right now. Yeah, and you know what's cool about Seth is that this this guy's first of all he's a low handicap. He loves the game. He's a a former athlete, and he he's just a, a baller in all sorts of in all sorts of different ways. He 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 plays the game a lot, um, and he's in the know. And so, when you're the 
the CEO of the PGA of America, you're just automatically on all sorts of these boards, you know. So he's on the board with the PGA Tour. He's on the board with the USGA and all the, the, the RNA, you know. So here's a guy that's sitting into all of the who's who meetings that, you know, you and I'd love to be a fly on the wall on. Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, is coming up. This is Beyond the Fairways as we come to you from the Car Shield Studios. Are you driving an out-of-warranty car? It's only a matter of time before your out-of-warranty vehicle is in the shop costing you thousands of dollars. Auto repair costs are up nearly 20% from last year, which is four times the rate of inflation. If an unexpected breakdown happened today, would you be ready for that? Well, now you can be with a plan through Car Shield. Even if your car is just over three years old, it's still prone to expensive costs. Your car is more than just getting you from point A to point B. Traveling by car is a way of life. From picking up your kids to going to a new restaurant, cars are a daily essential. When you enroll in a car protection plan through CarShield, you can look forward to the following. The price will never go up no matter how many claims you file or no matter how high the mileage on your car increases. CarShield offers protection plans that start as low as $100 per month. That's $100 per month. They have repair coverage for up to 5,000 different parts of your vehicle. Plus, when your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road, you get 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance. You also get complimentary towing and rental car options. CarShield has my back when my car breaks down, and they can have yours too. Call CarShield today at 800-465-6550 or visit carshield.com. It's CarShield, proud sponsor of the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. It's time for the Beyond the Fairways player profile. Let's get back to Jay and Dan. We continue from the Car Shield Studios. We're presented by Darty Business Solutions, Jay Delsing, Dan McLaughlin. And what a pleasure this is. Seth Waugh, CEO of the PGA of America, is our guest. And Seth, thanks for hopping on the show. We certainly appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to be here. And thanks uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for all you do all year. It's, uh, I've, I've listened and, and enjoyed. And, and I'm flattered to be, uh, to be asked to be on. So thank you, Seth. It's it's awesome to get to chat with you a little bit. Uh, I've known you from back in the the uh, the Deutsche Bank years and things like that. But tell us how you. I know you're such a lover of the game. Tell us how you got involved and in, and in, in why you love golf so much. Well, that's a that's a long that's a long answer, Jay. Uh, hope you got, hope your viewers have comfortable seats. <laughs> um, no, it like I I grew up the youngest of five boys. My father was a teacher and a coach, and uh, I grew up playing you know all different sports. But he coached baseball and basketball, and and I played soccer, baseball, and basketball through college, and and just loved you know I was just you know I got beaten up by my brothers and tried to try to get you know on the on the on the court all the time, um, and so. Um, you know, I kind of came to golf late, uh, once my body started breaking down and I couldn't play anything else competitively, it, it, it sort of became, um, you know, the one thing I could do to compete in around, you know, kind of the age of 30. Uh, and then our oldest son was born and he was a little bit of a golf freak early. He broke a hundred when he was five and, you know, he played a lot of stuff, but, you know, just wanted to play. And so it became kind of uh, a game that brought me to my family as opposed to something that took me away from it. Um, and 
I met my wife on the driving range. She's a really good player. Um, the kids all play. We have five of them, and you know, so it's it's been a, a huge part of our my personal life. Uh, and I got to see our son, who you know is, is now playing professionally in South Africa on the Sunshine Tour. But you know, I caddied for him all through his junior times. Um, you know, watched him at Wake Forest. Uh, you know, caddied a few Q schools with him. You know, all sorts of things. Uh, and so I've sort of seen the game, uh, I guess the, you know, I'm a geological study of the game from, you know, sort of us kids through, through, you know, professional ranks, I guess, and, and through my, my child's eyes. Um, so that's one part of it. And the other part, when I was at Deutsche Bank, I, you know, we were, uh, trying to do something nobody had ever done, which was kind of bring a foreign bank into the you know, us bulge bracket, uh, kind of a top five position. And we were doing really good things, um, but nobody really knew what we were doing. And so we were trying to figure out a way to brand ourselves, to entertain our clients, to spend time with our clients um, and do, to do some good. And we, you know, kind of happened to come to golf. It, it's a little bit like, you know, nobody watches opera on TV, right? So <laughs> so we had to find something that was uh, kind of culturally you know, and values aligned with us. Uh, and you know, it became clear that that, that was going to be golf because of all the reasons we all love it, which are the, you know, the only sport that calls cheating on itself or, you know, the rules violations on yourself, the, you know, the lessons you learn, the values you learn, the time you spend with people, um, uh, you know, your family and friends and how you learn about people through the game. Uh, and so it just, it spoke to us and, and we started, um, the Deutsche Bank championship. Um, you know, figured out that Tiger had a foundation and every, every, uh, uh, every, uh, tour event had a charitable component. And so it made sense to me that if, if he was, if the Woods Foundation was going to be the beneficiary that he'd probably play every year. Um, so Steiny and I put together, uh, a deal and, um, and, you know, started the Deutsche Bank Championship on Labor Day weekend, which was kind of a dead weekend. And, and, you know, the first year was great, um, but realized, you know, that there was a whole lot more potential and realized that if we were really going to do this and gain value for the, for the bank, how are we going to create a, you know, a return, an IRR, if you will, uh, for the bank? And the way to do that was to, um, to really throw myself into it and, and understand who the players were, who their caddies were, who, the, who their, their spouses were. Uh, get to know the media um, and, you know, really, um, you know, figure out it was the most expensive thing we did every year and, and how are we going to get our shareholders to return. Um, and so I became a golf guy, um, if you will, at, at that level, um, really as an, as an effort to, uh, to, again, you know, create a return. So uh, did that for, you know, a dozen years or so and, and had a great experience and that became a FedEx Cup event. It, it, uh, uh, it built on itself and, um, you, know, uh, you know, I was kind of the, the host every year of, of, uh, of it and, and in doing that, again, got to know a lot of the players well and just a lot of, the, the, you know, the golf bodies and everybody kind of around it. I got asked to uh, serve on the board. Uh, Pete Bach asked me to come serve on the board of, of the PGA of America, which I was happy to do, flattered to do. I was kind of happily serving my term and about to roll off, and you know, he got hired away by NBC Sports and got a call from the, the president of the PGA at the time, Paul Levy, who, who uh, 
we said, you know, Pete's leaving. And I said, I heard that. And he said, well, I said, but we're going to get great candidates. And he said, well, that's interesting because the board just met and we think it's you. Um, and so I, uh, I took a big gulp. Um, I was working as a partner at a private equity firm at the time and happily, uh, happily so. Uh, and, um, but as I really thought about it, I realized, you know, this was, um, uh, the biggest, you know, that I'd never have a chance to impact more lives, right? Um, I sort of feel like if you can, um, you know, if we can make 29,000 lives better of our members, they can in turn make millions of lives better through through the game. And, you know, what better, what what bigger privilege, what sort of better, you know, gift could I have than that? And so from my perspective, it's gone sort of full circle where, you know, my, my parents were teachers, um, and, and, you know, changed lives through, uh, through their, their, you know, education. And, um, and, you know, we're trying to do the same thing, uh, in a different form through, uh, through the PGA of America. So I'm, uh, I'm honored to be doing it. It's the most fulfilling thing I've ever had. Um, game has given an enormous amount to me, uh, in, uh, in so many ways and, and, you know, what a gift to me to have an opportunity to give back. Seth, it's just a massive get for us to have someone, you know, that like yourself that loves the game so much, and now you're running the PGA of America. One of the first things you did was move headquarters, and, and this new place in Frisco is spectacular. Tell us a little bit about the, the idea behind that and, and, and the vision. Yeah, so, well, thank you. I'm glad you're getting to see it. It's, it's, <laughs> It's it's pretty bizarre that um, you know the, the other than the pyramids like the two buildings that people are talking about um, are you know the Apple headquarters and the PGA of America headquarters right <laughs> we would go figure that that would uh, be it but it, it's you know not just our building but it's it's the entire campus so when I first came on and actually it was uh, I had been involved as a board member um, and really was I think the first person within the PGA as a board member to, 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 to see the property. And you could see immediately, you know, when you go to certain, uh, you know, land, you can just sort of see golf in that land. And, and this was one of those places with lots of elevation change and just really interesting terrain, very different than what most of Dallas looks like uh, or Dallas surrounding area. But we really did the uh, original RFP. We, we, we were very happy in, in, in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida had been good to us. The area had been good to us. Obviously, it's a big golf area. <laughs> and we started a, an RFP because we'd outgrown our, um, our, our space. But, um, you know, you, you generally do an RFP to sort of get paid to stay, right? Um, where the, the locals step up and the, the state steps up. And, um, but we did, you know, what you would normally do, which is check, you know, all the sort of golfy cities of so Charlotte, Atlanta, Phoenix, uh, Dallas, um, uh, some of the West Coast uh, areas, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we got great proposals from a lot of places. Um, and, you know, Florida did, in fact, step up and, and you know, they wanted us to stay. Uh, but Frisco jumped out and they jumped out for two reasons. One, as we all know, Texas is very, very business friendly. Frisco particularly, they're trying to build, um, but it was to a certain degree also their story. Uh, their sports town USA. They wanted, you know, they had every other major sport was represented in the town. 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, they, they wanted, they, they wanted golf. It doesn't mean that there wasn't golf courses, but there wasn't a golf entity there. There aren't that many of us. So, and, and they don't move very often. And so we were a unique opportunity for them. Um, and they also had 650 acres, which they were willing to offer, you know, as, as, uh, you know, a, and it no longer became a building. It became a destination. Um, and so, you know, that was hugely appealing. The problem was that, you know, we needed a financial player to come in and, and, uh, uh, and make it a reality, um, cause it was really a dream where you could build a couple golf courses and, you know, et cetera. Uh, and we found, and, um, I developed a very close relationship with the, the rolling family who are the, um, you know, the family that owns and controls the Omni group. Uh, their local Dallas family, wonderful people um, with a big vision. And for them, it was sort of a local opportunity to leave a legacy, but also uh, to plant a real flag in the, in the ground for their golf properties. They have a number of them, but they weren't really known for golf. They were known for you know, hotels and hospitality. Uh, and now, you know, this was a chance to kind of create you know, uh, a, a pebble, a, a Pinehurst, a, a sawgrass kind of destination. Uh, and so, you know, they put in $600 million to build um, build the campus. Um, so, you know, if you think about it, Frisco uh, offered incentives, but also, you know, 650 acres. We offered the brand um, and, uh, and, and, and Omni offered the, you know, the checkbook. Uh, and that combination uh, was is incredibly uh, powerful, uh, and in doing so, we kind of created oceanfront property in the middle of you know a middle of a desert in, in Dallas, uh, and um, and created you know billions of dollars of, of value as as a result of that. So we built our building, um, and we're really proud of it. Um, and, but you know we've got a Gill Hands and a and a Bo Welling. Uh, design golf courses. We get a lighted par three. We got the maybe the largest putting green in, in the world. Um, and then every way you can consume golf is around the campus. And you go there on a Friday night, and and there's you know there's an ice cream store, and there's families running around on the golf on the on the putting green. There's people playing the par three. You've got either Buzz Lightyear or you know the Ryder Cup on the big screen. <laughs> Um, and you know, there's a top golf experience. There's, there's, uh, you know, driving range. It's just, you know, it's, it's the town square for golf, right? It, it's, uh, it's just a really cool, um, facility. And Omni, you know, didn't spare a penny and, and built an amazing resort, um, uh, with, you know, all every amenity you, you can imagine. And it's just really cool. Um, so everybody that's come has been absolutely blown away. Um, we've, Ran our seniors there. Uh, senior event there was in May. We had our junior league uh, national championship and um, in uh, in October. And so you had you know, NBC was there and blown away. CBS spent some time with there there for the Byron, and uh, and ESPN came through. Who does our junior league? Um, and every one of them was just you know absolutely blown away by it. So uh, actually, Jay, I think one of your buddies. Uh, Brad Faxon was there yesterday and it was absolutely, you know, gobsmacked by the whole place. So it's, um, it's, it's cool and everybody ought to come see it. And, you know, we think we've really tried to build our home. You know, you're, 
the PGA of America is, you know, golf is kind of, other than for us junkies, it's hard to understand all the entities in it, right? Um, but but PGA of America, you know, obviously we own the Ryder Cup and or half the Ryder Cup and, and own the PGA Championship. So we're, we're playing at the highest level and, and you know, that's kind of what you see on TV. Uh, but what we do every day is is uh, is grow the game, and you know, and uh, we're our twenty nine thousand on the front line. They're they're the people that see it and and understand the game at a, at a different level than everybody else. Um, and so we think that you know we should be the most informed, uh, the most balanced, the the most kind of you know forward thinking, and it you know entity within the game because you know because of our boots on the ground and and. We now have a home that represents that for that 29,000. We've spent a lot of time making sure that the building itself, um, you know, celebrates our history, celebrates our professionals, kind of what they do, um, tells the story. Um, and we're getting thousands of visitors, you know, some of them are members, some of them are just people that want to check it out um, kind of all the time, um, yeah, which is not something we, we necessarily expected, but we, but we welcome. So. It's a it's a cool place. I, I talked about it being you know the Silicon Valley of golf, and because I think it should it, it will end up being kind of a commercial epicenter of the game, and uh, as well as the destination. Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, is our guest, and you mentioned thousands of members with the PGA of America. How do you stay in the loop with them? Because the average golf fan knows about the Ryder Cup or they know about the majors or they know about the professional events that you're affiliated with. But how do you stay in the in the weeds, so to speak, with those that are trying to make the game so great on a local level? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a great question and it's a it's a huge challenge um, because it is twenty nine thousand. And so uh, I return every call. I return every email. Um, I, you know, spend 60, 70% of my, my life on the road, um, trying to get out there and see, uh, what's going on. Um, I, I try to, if I ever walk on a facility, I, I make sure to go in the shop and, and kind of try to chat up, not just the head professional, but, but the assistants and try and figure out what's, what's going on there. You know, our headquarters, our new headquarters has made it a little easier because we, we get a lot of more traffic um, through there. There wasn't a lot of reason to visit our old building, um, uh, but now we we educate, you know, all of it, uh, our level two and our level three folks come through there. So I get to, you know, speak to the classes and, and just see them in the hallway. Um, and, you know, we have a, a wonderful board of, of you know, 22 uh, professionals, uh, well, 2019, there's three outside directors, um, and we meet, you know, frequently, as you can imagine, um, to, uh, to discuss things. So I, I get their perspective and how they think about it. Um, and I, you know, I just work really hard to try and understand, you know, what people are thinking. It, it isn't, you know, when I speak, it isn't, um, it isn't, you know, Seth Law's opinion. It's, it's hopefully the opinion of the 29,000, um, that I'm trying to represent. Uh, and obviously when you have a group of that size, you're going to have uh, a lot of different, um, uh, you know, perspectives and, and views and on whatever issue, whether that's the distance, you know, now or, or whatever. And, and you try to figure out um, what, what the uh, majority is and, and, and try to represent it, but be, 
but also be very cognizant of, of the minority and, and trying to thread the needle all the time. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it, I'll never have the answer, but I'm searching for it every day, I guess is the, uh, is what it is. And we, we do lots of town halls. We just came off our annual meeting where you see, you know, our, our delegates are all there and you, you, you go to every meeting and listen to everybody and again, walk the halls and, and, um, and, uh, and work the mahogany at night and, you know, you, um, do your best to, to, uh, to, to get the pulse of what everybody's kind of thinking. Seth is, it's really cool. You guys have just gone through a new branding, <clears throat> excuse me, with, um, a new logo that I think was released right around the Ryder Cup time. And there's so much going on. Um, I know that you brought um, uh, a new uh, asset to the to the members with some retirement benefits and, and, and things like that. But from a local level here, at, just in St. Louis, we had a record number of associates join um, the PGA of America. And th- just what with what's happened with the pandemic and – I mean, it's just kind of a, a a crazy time for the game. With there's drama, there's growth, there's all sorts of stuff happening. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know I think what you're saying is that crisis follows me around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it you know look, it, I've always viewed change and disruption and frankly crisis as opportunity as much as challenge. Um, and, you know, to, to go back to the pandemic, um, you know, and, and we all now know that obviously that, that uh, you know, COVID was, was very good for golf. Uh, that wasn't clear in the beginning, right, when every course on earth was shot and we were all hiding under our beds. And I kind of woke up one night and said, you know, and we have five kids and they all kind of retreated from school and New York and, and came home and we had two um kind of refugees who are, are uh, a niece and a goddaughter. So we had nine people in our house. And, um, and you know, we were a week away from being reality TV. Right? Like everybody's <laughs> working and we're finding a nook to work in and, you know, whatever. And so, you know, we sort of had to have some rules and, okay, odd, you know, we had an odd and even team that would clean up on a variety of day. And we had, you know, theme nights and, um, and you know, all the things that a lot of other people did, um, whether it was game night or movie night or, you know, sort of somebody responsible for a, a theme dinner. Um, and then about, you know, three or four weeks into it, I realized like everybody needed to kind of get outside and get outside of themselves. And, and we realized, you know, that it was a golf course, you know, sitting not too far away. And, um, and, you know, it was 200 acres that was being unused. I said like, you know, if, if we went out there and carry our own bag, um, like what could be safer? And so I actually called our, we had a medical advisor who had worked in the Clinton White House, who's a good guy and not a golfer. And I said, am I crazy? Or like, does this make sense? And he goes, that makes total sense. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, sort of mental and a physical aspect of it that everybody kind of needs. And he put us in touch with, with Fauci and we had a conversation with him and he goes like, God, that's really interesting. And he put us in front charge, you know, in touch with the CDC and the CDC said, you know, no other sports come to us. Like that's a really interesting idea. So we formed with them what we called back to golf, which was a, um, you know, a stepped in process of, you know, don't touch the pins, don't talk to anybody else 
carry your own bag. And then, you know, when, once we reach level two, you can get carts and then, you know, the halfway house opens and whatever. And, you know, so long ago way of saying, and then, and then at the same time, you know, Jay Monahan was, um, was talking about putting golf back on, on television in, you know, May when everybody else was thinking, you know, we're shut down for the rest of our lives. Um, and so that combination of, and he turned, and, you know, it ended up being June, but he pulled it off, right? And, and they pulled it off. And, um, and then we had Harding Park, you know, which was the first thing that mattered since the Super Bowl, you know, which was a fanless uh, major in, in, you know, August. And so we were the first sport to come back and, um, you know, in participation, but also on television when people needed it most. And I, I think that really fueled a lot of what we're doing. Everything that was sort of negative about golf, which was it takes too much time. Um, you know, you, you only see a few people, you know, all those sort of things became these huge positives. Um, and so, you know, I think that's just illustrative of, you know, what, what we're trying to do. Um, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the, uh, so, you know, did we create the booming golf? You know, I don't want to take credit for it, but I, I think we put our thumb on the scale, right. In terms of how it, it, it looks, I think how we're growing it is, is also, um, you know, very different, you know, the, the demographics of, of who's playing the game. You know, it's, you know, the, the fastest growing cohorts are females and, you know, people of color, right. And, I was very intentional on our part of, of saying, you know, if we're going to grow this game, last time I checked, half the world is female and, and the next census is going to be half of the U.S. will be of, uh, of color. Like if we're not growing in those cohorts, um, first of all, it's the right thing to do. But secondly, you know, we don't have much of a growth story if we're missing out half and half again. And so we rallied the industry around make golf your thing it's the first time the industry's ever kind of you know done something collectively to to grow the game and grow it in the way we have and again it's it's all little um sound bites of of things that add up to you know sort of what's happening we you know the the, the, the deferred comp plan which you're nice enough to mention was something we hadn't figured they hadn't been able to figure out in 100 years and and um it's kind of you know, there was a great example in, the, in our industry, which is the tour you know, deferred comp plan. And um, I went and met with Jay and his team and kind of understood how that worked and then figured out how to apply it to our, our professionals. And um, and it was sitting in, you know, in broad daylight, but but no one had ever, you know, figured out how to do it. And, and so proud of that. Um, another problem we had was once we created all this new demand for the game, we had a supply problem um, because we didn't have enough professionals to, you know, to, to service everything that was going on. And, and the ones that were working in the industry um, lives were deteriorating because they're working 24 seven and, and, you know, couldn't keep up with the, you know, the conveyor belt of, of, uh, of, of play. Um, and so we said, okay, if, you know, we gotta, we gotta help solve that. And we started talking about both quality of life uh, as well as the opportunity in the game, you know, it's a it's a hundred billion dollar business. There's over two million jobs, um, and and so you know we went out and actively for the first time recruited, and we recruited at the high school level. We recruited at at the you know at, at high school golf tournaments, at college golf tournaments, um, in a variety of other ways. And as you said, Jay, it's not just um, 
in St. Louis if this is happening or in the Gateway. It, it's across the country. We have a record number of associates. Um, our PGM programs, which are in the university, are are uh, we're struggling, and a lot of them, you know, were, were basically you know close to going out of business. We went and talked to them and said, okay, how can we, you know, how can we help boost you up because we think these are the right, you know, the right structure, um, but but we're not, you know, attracting the kids in the right way. So we helped them recruit. We've, we've reinvested in, you know, marketing and, and a number of ways to do that. So the good news is that, you know, the supply, the, the supply on the, on the, uh, the front end is, is, is built back up. We're not there, you know, we're not giving up. We're going to keep doing it. Um, but you know, you, you, you know, problems are opportunities and, and we've kind of looked at, uh, I'm a big believer that everything, you know, has a solution as long as you have, um, you know, the, as long as you compete on excellence and, and, um, and, you know, believe in, in, uh, in being able to, to, to get to the solution, um, there, there's always a solution. Seth Waugh, CEO of the PGA of America, our guest, and you mentioned how you can have solutions, and sometimes when things go awry, that's the best time to when you can turn things around. So it leads me to live, and I know you've been asked about this a million times, so I'll ask a, a question maybe in a different manner. Is there something that you've picked up from live that could be applicable to what you're doing with the uh, the PGA of America? Are there some things that you like out of that that you say, you know what, that's a good idea. Maybe that should be implemented in what we're doing. That could work for us. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's a great way to frame it. I, I've, um, for better or worse, I've lived in a, you know, my life, my professional life has lived in a world of disruption, right? Um, it's kind of what wall street is, is, is you have a good idea today. Somebody's going to copy it tomorrow and, and you need to come up with the next big idea in order to sort of continue to, to go. And if you, if you don't disrupt, um, you know, you're going to get run over. And so um, I, I'm a big believer in disruption. I think, um, you know, when I came into the uh, PGA, I felt like it was a little bit of it's our parents organization kind of protecting our parents game as opposed to thinking about how to um, how to create the game for our kids and, their, and our kids' kids. Right. And um, and so I've tried to, you know, inject that sort of lot of innovation uh and disruption and in, in into kind of how you know we think about it and and obviously that's what live has done they've looked at a in an industry that frankly was probably a little fat and happy um and I, I, that's not a finger at the at the tour it's um, a finger pointed at the tour it's more you know the entire industry um and probably a little complacent and um, and, uh, so I, I think, you know, they've made us all better by, um, by, you know, creating this, um, kind of hostile takeover kind of mentality a little bit. Right. Um, and, uh, and so sort of looking at our, our own businesses and, and figuring out how to, how to make them better. I think, you know, the, the biggest problem I've always had with, with live, um, and I don't mean you know live as as an entity, but as a concept, is that I think when you disrupt, you need to have one or hopefully two things. One is a better product, um, and second is and or uh, better pricing. And they really have had neither, right? I I, I don't think it's a better product. Um, there might be some aspects of the team side of things that that make sense, but I I, 
think that you know the consumer has sort of voted on that in terms of um, you know viewership, uh, and and I you know they 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 don't um, they don't really have a business model yet, right? Um, and and I talked about it being kind of unsustainable as a result of that um, because I just don't I don't see where the revenues come from. I don't see where the sponsorship comes from. Um, I, you know the, the team ownership aspect is something I. I could buy into at some point if you can get momentum on, you know, people actually caring about the teams, um, but I, but I haven't seen that yet. Um, so longer the way of saying, I, I uh, I'm glad they're talking. Um, I think peace is always better than war, um, and I think, uh, I think the game is much better, you know, united. Um, and uh, and uh, I'm hopeful that something's going to happen there because. Uh, because I think both sides kind of need the deal, um, and the game, frankly, needs the deal. Um, you know, we've now all been forced to sort of spend money that you know we kind of didn't have, and have had it had to spend it um, not because somebody else had um, a better idea or a better product, but because they were you know willing to throw a lot of money at something. And um, and again, I just I, I always thought that. Um, again, disruption is a good thing, but but it has to be sustainable disruption because of you know a better idea, better better pricing, better something, and and I frankly haven't seen that um, uh, in the actual product. But but again, I, I do think they've they've made us better by forcing us to look internally on how we can do things better, more efficiently, um, and I think we can learn from not just live, but you know I I. Uh, we just signed up um, T-Mobile as, as a major partner for us, which we're really excited about. And I was lucky enough to get invited to go out to the F1 in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago to meet with their CEO and, and a number of their senior folks and some of their other partners. And I'd never been to F1. You know, I became an expert by watching Drive to Survive, you know, three or four episodes. <laughs> um, and my, my kids, you know, uh, care about it. So I had a, a, you know, a little bit of knowledge. And you know, there's just so much to learn from from other sports and and what they've done to really transform that sport in a very short period of time. A lot of things I really liked about what they're doing. Some of the things I wasn't crazy about. But I think you know that's that's what you you do, right? As you look at, I've always felt like um, you know you have to look across. You, there's two ways to disrupt. One is to go really deep into something, and one is to go horizontally. Um, and and learn from other examples and then apply those to the vertical that you're you know you're responsible for um, and I think there's things to learn you know from within the game that we can do better but there's a lot of things that we can learn outside of the game from what other sports and what other entities are doing um, that can that can make us better you know every day and that that's what we challenge ourselves to do all the time Seth, I feel like Greg Dorman likes to disrupt for disruption's sake. And uh, and when you care so deeply about a game like I do and, and so many of my, my friends that played for so long do and you're not part of the conversations, you know, you just sit there wondering and you start kicking the can and you go through all sorts of machinations about what the hell is actually going on. But I wanted to ask you, did do you believe that the tour and, and Jay, maybe Jay specifically, were caught off guard by the fact that they could actually bring in investors 
until the Saudis because it's it seems odd to me the way the whole thing has rolled around. Like there's got to be PE money all over the place that would love to jump in, you know, in bed and support golf. Um, but prior to the PIF, I don't know if that was ever even an, an idea. Yeah, and I don't. I, I think it's a great question. I think the you know at the end of the day, um, it it wasn't you know it wasn't needed. Um, if you'd had outside money, what would you have spent it on? Um, um, you, you know, I think was the view, and was that a was that a you know miss um, a misguided view or or not? I, I think we got to see what the structure ultimately looks like and, and what they do, you know, ultimately investing, right. Um, from the player's perspective, obviously getting paid more money is, is important to them. And, and, um, and that's good. But if you're just in, in you know, investing, again, back to my sustainable point, if, if you're just, you know, taking money to, to give it to the players, have you really transformed your business? Um, you know, and that's, that's what, uh, you know, needs to happen. How can you, how can this capital be invested in a way that creates additional value? Um, and by the way, has to create additional value, not just for the players, but for the investors now, right? Um, so if you're bringing in private equity money, you know, they're going to need a return um, and they deserve a return uh, and they'll expect a return and, and, and potentially expect an exit at some point, right? Um, and, and that's a different dynamic than than having a non-for-profit that is that is uh, built exclusively for the players. I mean, the players own the tour, right? I mean, that's the whole reason it exists is for the tour. That's what Jack and Arnie did. That's what PGA of America is. Um, and I never lose sight of that. I'm I'm a fiduciary for um, you know my job is to run a potential institution um, that is. You know, be better. You know, when you know, better than I found it when I leave it, and um, and that it's going to exist for another hundred years. Uh, and the tour, you know, for the benefit of the member and and the game in our case. And the tour is the same thing. Um, so, you know, bringing in money is sounds like a you know a good idea, but th- that money also has to add value, and there has to be. Um, you know, you know, uh, t- acquisitions or targets or, or you know, in, capital invested in growth in a way that the game gets bigger, that the, that the, it attracts more sponsorship dollars, um, and um, you know, makes enriches the players, right, um, and and the investors. So, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think they had their head in the sand, and certainly, you know, sports has become, you know, a huge um, playground, if you will, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but has become a huge, you know, focus of private equity, where where private equity really didn't focus on sports. Um, I call it five years ago. Uh, there's been an enormous amount of of impact that they've had, uh, you know, you know, in every sport. And so to assume that it wouldn't have the same some impact in golf, I think, is naive. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question. I think I think it's a little bit of TBD that um, you know what does this look like, and and then what what you know value is created um, from the the money that comes into the game. And I think the money that is 
is looking at the game as saying like, you know, this game is kind of ripe for disruption because it, it hasn't been disrupted and therefore there must be an ability to, uh, to add value here um, in the same way that it's happened in other sports. Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, has been incredible with his time. And I have one final question. We're all excited that Tiger is coming back, and he's, he said, I'm going to play a limited schedule. What does that do? And Seth Waugh hears that, or some of the folks that you rub elbows with at the higher end of golf, and they say, oh, Tiger's coming back. I know what it means as a fan. I know what the casual fan thinks. But from your perspective, your seat in the game of golf, what does that mean? Ticket sales. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, you know, obviously you only get, you know, in our lifetime, I hope I'm wrong, but you, you probably don't, well, you know, I guess I could say we had Jack, we had Arnie in my lifetime too, but, you know, he's a generational guy, right? And um, and he moves the needle in ways that nobody ever can. He's got, obviously, his ability, but it's it's the it um, that he has. Um that you know, and it transcends golf, right? It's 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 bigger than he's much bigger than golf, um, but he makes us better. Um, you know, he's amazing, right? Like you know, who would have thought he'd come back to win Augusta? You know, four years ago, and and um, and so when people say, "Do you think he can win again?" I go, "Absolutely!" Like, what? you know, like how could you ever doubt it? Um, that, and that doesn't mean he's gonna win, but do I think he could? I, you know, absolutely. Um, I think he's much more. You know, I've been lucky enough to know him because for 25 years now, I guess, because of our, um, you know, back to we talked about first the Deutsche Bank Championship, and um, you know, he's so much more introspective than he was. He's so much more kind of patient. Um, he's he's thinking about you know, his legacy in the game. I think it's wonderful to have him in that room at the, at the tour policy board because he does have that wisdom of, of uh, you know, he's, he's always been an old soul, but now he's, you know, he's, he's had, you know, so much time to, to think about it and to reflect on it. Um, and, you know, he, he really thinks about the game and the history of it. He has, I hope he can bridge that into this next generation to a certain degree. So, and you know, what a treat for all of us to, to, to get to watch it. Right. Um, kind of, you know, leave him alone a lot, but having, you know, enough conversation with him to say that, you know, he was after this last operation, he was excited because, you know, the pain was going away and it was really getting better um, as opposed to, um, you know, last spring when it was, he was sort of pretending that, that it was getting better, but knew that it fundamentally, you know, wasn't. And, you know, everybody knows their body better than anybody else does, but he knows his body better than, than maybe anybody on earth, given everything he's had to repair and how he, how he's always, you know, kind of um, thought about everything. So it's really cool. Um, you know, I'm glad for, I'm glad for all of us. I'm glad for my kids and, that, you know, they'll get the, another bite at the apple and, um, you know, and, and selfishly, you know, uh, Valhalla, you know, is, looks a lot more interesting immediately um, if, if, you know, he can play in it. Right? It's just, it, it, there's no question about it. Seth, I was wondering what you had, what you had in mind, uh, what your thoughts were about the, the golf ball, the rollback and things like that. We've been 
talking about this subject in the game of golf for man multiple years and i'm i'm really curious as to see what this looks like you know is there going to be a ball for the tour player is there going to be a professional ball and what that does from a business standpoint there's just a lot to unpack there too yeah i um you know we've been you know obviously as i said before like we're um we're in it every day right so we think about the game kind of at every level um you know man woman and child and you know we have our kpmg which is our women's events so we've played the women's game at the highest level and obviously the Ryder cup and the pga championship but but also you know junior league and and I, we're at this point where you know we've we've grown the game in an extraordinary way um and by we i mean all of us i don't mean you know, pga of america um and we for the first time ever golf is cool um you know 48 percent all um 48 of all golfers um, both um, on and off course are now under the age of 35 which wow. might be the coolest statistic in the game that's right? incredible I mean, I think, so five years ago i would have guessed you know 75 percent was over 50 um and that's what's happened in the last you know five years for the first time ever golf is cool we're growing it in ways that are extraordinary. There's so many more ways to consume it, right? You've got, you know, you've got par threes, you've got top golf, you've got, you know, put, you know puttery and pop stroke and, and, you know, and uh, simulators and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so like the thought of disrupting that now and saying like, Hey, glad you're all coming to the game, but you know, we're going to make it, you know, harder and less fun. For, for everybody <laughs> like you know it, it it's it's like you know it's like shooting ourselves in the in the foot right or maybe the head and uh and so on that level um i you know we're not for disrupting the the recreational game on the other hand you know we don't um we don't uh we think bifurcation is 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 uh, a really slippery slope. Um, we think it's very fundamental to the game that you can test yourself. And like, you know, my son hits it, whatever, 325 or 340 or whatever heck he hits it. Like I, I gave up on that a long time ago. Right. Um, and that's what bifurcation is, is sort of tease. Right. Um, and, and so um, I, but being able to test yourself against that or, or measure yourself and say, you know, uh, you know, he's hitting a seven iron, 200 yards and mine goes, you know, 145. Like, um, you know, that, I think that's kind of fundamental. I also think that, or we think I should say that um, if we had to bifurcate the job of policing, that is going to go to our 29,000. And how do you, um, you know, how do you, you know, you can have two separate ball, you know, sets of balls on the, on driving ranges. Um, what's an elite uh, competition is a junior club championship where they're hitting it farther than the, than the regular club championship. Is that elite? And therefore they have to go to that ball. When do you, when do you do that? Um, what happens if somebody plays, you know, the elite ball all year to, you know, boost their handicap and then in a member guest plays the regular ball. Like, you know, there's, there's just, too much um, confusion in there, uh, in our view, to to you know have bifurcation. So we're very hopeful that they've kind of gotten off of that. Um, and I, I would also say, like that, that they have run a really good process. Um, you know, you wouldn't set up golf the way it's set up, where you'd have 
you know, separate governing bodies and one in the U.S. and one internationally and, you know, PGA of America and PGA Tour, like this alphabet soup is pretty confusing to, you know, uh, even those that understand golf. Um, and, and so they're in a hard position where, you know, they're trying to protect the game, you know, for the next 50 years and totally respect that. They've been very collaborative, um, very transparent with all of us. Um, and, um, and so we appreciate that. Um, we're hopeful that, uh, whatever change they make, uh, a is, uh, provided enough time. Uh, to implement for, you know, for the game, but also for the equipment companies, uh, especially, and that, um, that they moderate, um, you know, how far they uh, want to kind of roll the ball back, if you will. Um, that, you know, 127 was sort of, an, uh, to a certain degree, in our view, arbitrary number that was picked. Um, and, you know, if, if it's something, you know, significantly less than that um, between the 120 and the 127, then, you know, I think a little minor disruption over a long period of time probably isn't a big deal. And I think the, the industry has spoken and, and, uh, and we can all sort of live with that. Um, and, um, you know, I probably wouldn't do anything, but if long as it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's thoughtful and, and moderate, um, you know, it, it, uh, I think we've come to, you know, thread the needle in a way that protects the game for the long run, but, but also doesn't disrupt it in the short run and, and ruin the momentum that is so precious and something we've been working for, for the, in the history of the game. Like we've never, we've never had this kind of a, you know, momentum. Seth, thank you so much for your time. And this, uh, man, I could talk to you for hours and hours. We are so proud of Nathan Carnes here in St. Louis. He is um, our, our national secretary working with you. And um, um, it, we have never had a representative from the gateway section be on the national board and we couldn't have a better guy. I mean, he's just terrific and we're excited to, to watch and, and get to see him interact more with you. Well, I'm excited to work with him. He, uh, he's, um, and I say he's a breath of fresh air, not because we, you know, we didn't have, haven't had, you know, great other folks doing this, but he's, he's so balanced. He's so thoughtful. Um, he is, uh, you know, calm in a storm uh, and um, always has a very thoughtful, um, you know, measured kind of response to things. Uh, and I, I just love working with him and he's got a beautiful family and, uh, you know, we like you kind of corn fed mid Midwestern types, you know, <laughs> he is, uh, he's a beautiful guy and I'm very lucky to have him as a partner. Seth, thank you so much for your time. This has been great insight. We know you're busy and you've been uh, very, very generous with your time. So thank you so much for joining us. Great being with you all. Thanks. Uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Much appreciated. Darty Business Solutions has been enhancing the business of our customers for the last 37 years. How do we do it? Through our expertise in technology, better use of data and analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. We roll up our sleeves and collaborate. We build applications and effectively communicate with our partner clients to bring their goals and objectives to the finish line. Our award-winning Access Point program is a community game changer. With nearly 100 students in the program, Mostly young African-American females are making between fifty-five dollars and $60,000 per 
per year right out of high school. That's right, $55,000 to $60,000 a year right after high school graduation. That's when they begin their training. CEO Ron Darty believes the talent is equally distributed, but access to that opportunity is not. So here's Access Point, providing more and more opportunity for those in and around our community. It's Darty Business Solutions. It's the breakdown. There it is. A win for the ages. That is better than most. Better than most. Maybe. Yes, sir. Here it is. The return to glory on Beyond the Fairways. Great long visit with Seth Waugh. A lot of uh, topics covered there with Seth. The, the final question that you asked, though, I thought was great about the ball. And we've talked about it yep. all the time, you know, should the ball change? But how do you implement that for the guy that's a 20 handicapper to the guy that's a, a plus two to the to what's happening on the tour right now? Yeah, Danny, and, and it, I, I thought Seth, Seth um, kind of encapsulated the stuff that you and I are talking about because you have children that are damn good players. What ball do they play? You know, <clears throat> your daughter and her high school team just won the state championship. You know, at what level does this thing switch over? It's just so messy. It's just, I don't know. I got the feeling, I don't know what you thought, but I got the feeling that Seth did not want to see a change in the ball. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Because it's too hard to, to when do you do it? How do you implement it? Is it a gradual implementation? Um, how do you compare levels of people that play? Yeah. You know, like he said, his son hits a seven iron, what it was at 170, 180, 190, 200, whatever. whatever. I don't know, too far. Yeah. yeah. And he's saying, I hit it 135 yeah, or whatever right, it was. Right. You know, so how do you, how do you say, well, I'm going to play the ball that I've always been playing, but you can't do that. That's not really fair. Well, the other thing is Danny, and what, what really hit me when he was like, when he said the average guy that goes out there, the golf warrior that loves the game, now it's going to be less fun because his seven iron used to go 150. Now it goes 135. Exactly. What the hell? Yeah, that's too tough. We don't want to do that. What do you think of his thoughts on live? I, I, you know, I was interested. It was. In, I thought it was very interesting and, and very um, uh, thoughtful. Um, he is not. Um, I, I'd say secretly, he's not a fan of Greg Norman. Uh, I would. In fact, I, I yeah. know. I know that, but. But from a disruption standpoint, I mean, he's like, we, you know, might have been a little fat and happy and a little complacent. And, and uh, you know, and, and so here's a guy that's seen all sorts of disruption from so many different levels of business that he, he's, I thought your question was wonderful when you said, what's a good? Because you know there's good in there. There's yep. some good in there. And and he's like, that's the – and the way you – what did he say? I love the way you worded that question as well. And so, I mean, we're we're going to see how this thing shakes out, and we're going to take whatever good there is there from that and then move on. Have you seen any good that you like? I, I like the broadcast okay. I can't follow what they're doing as much as I normally can with the yeah. PGA Tour, yeah. which is standard. I mean, you're yeah. watching the right. leaderboard, and right. you're going to see groupings that you enjoy. And right. That's where it goes. It's kind of hard to follow the team format a little bit for me right. as a fan of the game. And yep. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, there, there's the 
Razorbacks are over there against the snakes, and then, then yeah, you the know, Smashers yeah. and all these range goats or whatever. Exactly, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I do think some of their innovations in how they present the game has yep. been good. Yeah, I bet that the the PGA Tour and those that that are the entities that broadcast it are going to follow suit with some of the things that they bring to light. Didn't you think it was interesting, D, when he said? With disruption comes a better product and better pricing, and yes. those are not there. And and you and I have said this from the get-go. What's the plan? What's the plan here? I feel like they're still winging too much of it. You know what I mean? It's, and what are the investors going to get out of it? That well, was the other part, too. Right, and he he said that there's, there's going to be a, a, an ROI, so a return on investment, and the exit strategy, where's that? Yeah. And I don't know. That's not even thought of at this point. Don't you think the exit strategy is somehow trying to team up with the PGA Tour? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what it's got to yep. be. I agree. I agree. And and um, But so, I, I don't know. You go back to live and you go back to the, the broadcasts are choppy. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's odd because here you're playing and you and I are tied at 10 under par and you're on number 15 and I'm on number three. You know, and there's nobody watching, and so you get out there, and it, it it just looks like, I don't know, it almost looks like we got hostages out there, you know, playing golf and trying to figure this thing out. And how they start the day, the lack of cuts. Right. It's not a four-day event. Right. Those things, that's problematic, I think, right now, that they themselves need to be uh, reflective on, on in and look inside and say, you know what, this just doesn't work. We need to go back to a traditional look. I, I agree. And and Danny, what have they brought that's better? I mean, the music is not new. And okay, golf, but louder. That that doesn't that it doesn't do that, anything they, for me. They, they missed a mark on that, as far as I'm concerned. I actually don't like that. I like the I, traditional look of golf. Well, I do. I I like. The drama that builds up, and I want to know, I'm coming down to the 18th hole, and I need a birdie to beat you. The other thing is, D, and this didn't get mentioned much, but there's an architectural, golf architectural standpoint to the way you play a golf course. And you're not meant to end your tournament on hole number five. It's just not. You know, there's a buildup, and we've talked about this before. I mean, the drama that we've seen at Pebble Beach in the 18th, and, you know, certain guys can knock it on in two, and other guys can knock it in the water. And, and there's there's strategy involved in the way the golf course is designed. Absolutely. Yeah. Hero World Challenge, Tiger is back. They're in the Bahamas, beautiful weather. We'll have our picks of the week, and that's coming up. This is Beyond the Fairways, and we're presented by Darty Business Solutions. Where do we find the best golfers in the world this week? It's time for the picks segment on Beyond the Fairways. I'm not sure you can have a dark horse with the field that they have. <laughs> and let's talk about that. They get the yeah. field. Is it because of Tiger? Yeah, oh yeah. All yeah. about Tiger. Yeah, all about Tiger. And I mean you're you're also you're in the Bahamas, so you're in a beautiful place. There's no cut, and they're giving away how many millions of dollars? I a mean, lot. what the hell? I mean, I'm waiting for my phone to ring. <laughs> I bet you are. A long time I've been sitting next to that thing, and it's not ringing. What do you, uh, you know, just generally, what are your expectations for Tiger? My biggest expectations, Danny, are what I'm really most anxious to see is what sort of physical progression happens from Thursday to Sunday. And is it going to be up, down, neutral, or whatever? Because we've watched him. Well, you and I, are, are, we say this all the time, but we, we need a statement that's deeper into the junk than the weeds. Yes. Because if you're like, 
we're under the weeds yep. or something like that. But we're we watched the dirt. It. You're in the dirt. He doesn't limp. Tiger's not limping like, you know, we we mentioned just, just a few minutes ago about how difficult it was to watch him play at Augusta last spring. And he, he, the dude could barely walk. Yeah. And now with this, so something is happening in a very positive aspect. I, I know you saw this. He talked about maybe a schedule next year. Once a month. That hasn't that that hasn't been that hasn't been a topic in three years. It, it, no doubt, it was just about when and where will he play, and then how many events could he possibly follow up with. But if he's doing it this way, talking about the four majors, probably the players. Yep. You know, you're, you're yep. getting in. That's five right there. You know, know. that's know. that's five months of the summer. Yeah, he's got his tournament out in L.A. You wonder can the he Genesis, can, he, can yep. he play Riviera? That's a generally a flat course, except for. For one in eighteen, those walks up the tees. I, I mean, I don't know, man. Just sign me up for however many he plays. I mean, it's it's just must must watch TV, and it's just good for the game. My favorite going into this, Scotty Scheffler had yeah, some time off. Uh, he's probably the favorite going in anyway. So I'll just go with my favorite, Scotty Scheffler. You know, we talked to Kurt Byram uh, earlier in the week, and he talked about the historic ball striking year that Scotty Scheffler had. And I mean, Scotty Scheffler just went after it this year. It's it's interesting, D, sometimes from a historical perspective, you need a little time to pass through and then you go back and you go, Damn, He's pretty darn good. What did he do again? Because we kept saying, I mean, he didn't finish out of the top five and then it turned out the top twelve for like what? Six or seven months? Absolutely, yeah. I love that pick. Um Victor Hovland's won the last two years. I'm not going to go with Victor Hovland. I'm going to go with John Rahm. He's been in the in in the uh, the news a little bit. I mean, look at the guys we get to pick. I mean, how, how do you not Can't go wrong? Right now, how do you not tune in and go? Yeah, my picks, John Rahm. <laughs> Way to go out on the limb a little bit. But I mean, there, there's some the betting aspect of golf, which we may or may not like. Yeah, uh, we like. Um, we love. It, it's got it's got some really cool um, prop bets and stuff like that. And so um, people are kind of poo-pooing our boy Tony Finau, who we both love, and they're they're running a bunch of prop bets against Tony Finau. Because, I saw that. Because he hasn't been putting so well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all goes. It's it's just all these games within the game that make this thing so much fun, I think. John Rahm to live? What do you think? A lot of rumors. Man, I hope not. Me too. That I, would I, be a big, big blow. I, I think a lot depends on what these players know about this quote-unquote merger, you know, because if – if because think about John Rahm. He's in all the majors. So if he goes to live, he doesn't lose anything. His 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 world ranking will plummet, but it doesn't matter because he's still – he's, he's going to be in all the majors for the next five years. Absolutely. So could he I, – I just don't – the way he – 600 seem, million big ones is the reported I deal. Know. I know the way he seems to live his life. So Danny, here's a guy that let's go. We can safely say he's won two majors. This guy's got probably close to a hundred million dollars in his bank account now. And he said, he said this was were his own words that another 200 million isn't going to move the needle and change their lifestyle, which I kind of believe 600 million though. Half a billion dollars, my man, a little bit over. It's a lot of money. 
I, that's why I'm. It's hard. Can to you be, send Greg Norman my phone number? It's hard to begrudge some of these guys, man, for doing what they're doing. I mean, it's I it's such generational money that his family for generations. Yeah. I mean, generations yeah. would not have to worry about a thing. Yeah, he probably doesn't have to worry about a thing as they, as they are now, though. Uh, you agreed. know, because of the agreed. way he grew up in a very modest, you know, uh, Spanish uh, uh, background uh, um, in Spain, and so. I don't know, man. It just I always comes down to, the, down to the question of how much is enough. I, I agree. And only an individual can answer that. And, Danny, what is the value for someone like John Rahm to be able to go play the Memorial Tournament or the Players' Championship because he's not going to get in those two? Uh, or or to, to, to go back and defend some of these tournaments that he's won. I mean, what is and, – and I guess that's why we're not in, in, in his house. We're not in his head. We don't know what he's thinking, but that's – what it all comes down to. Great show, my man. Always fun to do it. Love you, D, and thanks for doing it with me. This is fun to talk off. Let's keep talking. All right. We'll have another great guest next week. We drop it every Wednesday. It's called Beyond the Fairways, and we're presented by Darty Business Solutions.